Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. As any grade 12 student applying to college or university knows, grades matter. And judging by rising graduating averages, Ontario students are getting smarter by the day. An alternative theory, though, is that those higher grades are attributable to something other than clever high schoolers. With us now to explore what's going on in Sudbury, Ontario, Serge Demers, Associate Vice President, Students, Registrar and Secretary of Senate at Laurentian University. In Etobicoke, Ontario, Paul Grayson, Professor of Sociology at York University. And here in our studio, Aisha Mahmood, President of the Ontario Student Trustees Association and a grade 12 student in Hamilton, and Kelly Gallagher-Mackay, Associate Professor and Program Coordinator at Wilfrid Laurier University's Law and Society Program. Welcome all, and just before we get started, in the interest of transparency, let's remind everyone that TBO offers online secondary school courses through the Independent Learning Center and is the Ontario government's partner in digital learning. So with that, welcome in studio, welcome on the line. Now, want a little table setter, so let's look at a chart which shows the averages of grade 12 students between 2007 and 2022. So you can have a look at the screen there. This data was gathered by the Toronto Star and provided by six school boards across the greater Toronto area. For audience members listening in, the lines on the chart show an increase in grade averages at the Dufferin Peel Catholic School Board, York Region District School Board, Toronto District School Board, Toronto Catholic District School Board, and Durham Catholic District School Board. The only school board where a steady increase doesn't seem to be in the case is the Durham District School Board, which you can see in the orange at the bottom. And I will mention that four boards did not provide their data to the star in this study. All right, with that being said, let's start off. Paul, I want you to get us started in a sentence or two. Are Ontario high schools inflating grades? Well, they are, but but I think you have to go back way further than the information that um, you provided because the system really changed, believe it or not, in the late 60s that long ago. What happened was prior to that date, we had in Ontario and like the other provinces, something akin to the A-levels in Britain where kids write basically the same examination in a particular topic and that exam is graded by people who don't know the student. They're, they're centrally graded. There was, a, there was a lot wrong with that system, but what happened was when, when that was basically curtailed, the number of Ontario scholars shot up. In other words, there was great inflation because there was no control over the assessment process. And the big problem from then and, and going on to now is that individual teachers make assessments. And um, certainly they're working with the same curriculum, but there is no basic way of ensuring that what teacher A sees as an A is what teacher B would see as an A. And there are a number of other factors that contribute to the inflation, but um, I don't wanna hog things here. So <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that I don't think this is a recent problem. It's one that has increased over the years. I also want to make it very, very clear that our good students are as good as they've ever been. In <laughs> fact, they're as good as students anywhere. The real problem is the average student. 
and the quality, I shouldn't say the quality of the student, the knowledge and motivation brought to studies by the average student has very drastically declined. All right, Kelly, I'm gonna come to you, same question. Uh, well, I think there's no doubt that grades have gone up uh, and the, there's always going to be a concern about to, to what extent those grades reflect underlying skills and knowledge. Um, I would say there are reasons to believe that if you look at that longer line, mm -hmm. um, there are reasons that grades really might have gone up reflecting an increase in skills and knowledge. Um, for example, uh, we've had more immigration from high-achieving groups. We've had, uh, we've lost, uh, students have left the applied program, which we know depressed achievement in large numbers. Um, and we've had really significant efforts to try and support marginalized students, uh, you know, like the TDSB's Center for Black Excellence that have actually, you know, maybe worked. Radical idea. All right. Serge. Yeah, I, I think uh, much like Paul, I, I believe that uh, some of the inflation is is due to policy more so than the actual teacher in the classroom um, being more generous. So I, I think the, the provincial government over the past few years has provided some guidance to teachers in terms of how they evaluate, why they evaluate, and uh, I I think we're now seeing basically a result of that in terms of, um, as Kelly indicated, some groups like uh, students with uh, with learning disabilities, um, there's been a strong move to try to level the playing field with them. So all of those things put together, I believe, have had an impact. The uh, the spike that we see, I think, is more COVID related and we'll, we'll have to see where things land post uh, that COVID spike. Great, Aisha. Yeah, so there are a lot of factors I think that are going into the higher averages that we're seeing at school boards um, across the GTA and across Ontario as a whole. Um, like Kelly was mentioning, there are students who are now receiving supports that they didn't have access to before, um, which is helping them achieve grades that they wouldn't have been able to achieve before. But there's also this um, additional pressure on students um, from their parents, from teachers, um, from administrators, from their peers to be achieving at a really high level to open up um, as many pathways as possible into their future. Um, a lot of um, I'm in grade 12 right now. A lot of the experience of my peers this year has been, will my average be high enough to get into this university program or will I meet this cutoff? And it's hard to kind of use grades, which I think we can all agree are a subjective um, number that we place onto a student's learning um, to determine what their future might look like at 17, 18 years old. So I think that there's a slight discrepancy between the fact that students have missed out on a lot of key learning over the past few years, and not just learning content-wise, but also the development of skills they need to be successful, and also that additional pressure on schools um, and students to be, um, for students to achieve these high averages so that they can access these opportunities. So it's hard to say, I think in my perspective, I only really have kind of a short-term look over the past few years. Um, but it's there, there's a lot of factors at play. I don't think that high-achieving students are any less high-achieving than they were, let's say, 20, 30 years ago. But at the same time, I think these higher grades are more commonplace just because of all of these factors that are now a part of that final average. Okay. Kelly, 
We reached out to three different public teachers' unions in hopes a representative could participate. They were unavailable, and two of the organizations were unavailable to produce a written statement in time for the show, citing the complexity of this issue. I'm just curious, why is this such a sensitive issue for teachers? Well, I think one of the things we should uh, point to... First of all, I also want to say the jump in grades during COVID probably looks to me like job and uh, grade inflation because we know if you look at international evidence, by and large, achievement went down, right? Hmm. (laughs) Um, In terms of tests. Right. Uh, So the COVID spike is something special, and I think we need to pay a lot of attention to it and make sure that post-secondary institutions are... Um, catching. But your question is, why is this complicated? Well, grades do a lot of things in our society, right? They communicate to the student. They're a kind of quick and dirty form of feedback about how you're doing relative to expectations and perhaps relative to other people in your classroom. They communicate to families. And I think that's a really important form, especially when report cards are written in gobbledygook. Mm. You know what a B means, right? Mm. Uh, They communicate, and especially if you're struggling with language or have some of the other challenges, that's a really important job. They also are used to sort students uh, and in a kind of winner-takes-all social system where it seems like there's certain programs that are brighter and shinier than everything else, it's easy to get really focused on the sort of needs of the top 5 10% of students. It's really important that we notice that actually alongside grades going up, graduation's gone up, and post-secondary access has gone up considerably in Ontario. So out of the Toronto District School Board, I did a research project with the TDSB and a Higher Education Quality Council. Um, We saw the majority of TDSB students go to university for the first time during COVID. Hmm. And we saw groups that have historically been a little more marginalized. So, yep, there's still competition and I think a heck of a lot of stress at the top. But one of the things that's not happening is that kids aren't getting into university. More kids are going to university than ever before and, and college is holding steady. All right, I want to stick with you because I want to ask, in terms of the even the data that we showed was mostly in the GTA, and I want yeah. to kind of get an idea of how prevalent or consistent is grade inflation across the province. Do we have an idea that this is happening in all school birds in every corner of this province? We don't really. There's real problems getting province-wide data in Ontario, <laughs> and the ministry is really slow uh, and hesitates with transparency. Uh, it's a real challenge. The last thing I want to say about grades, <laughs> final <laughs> thing, standardized tests give us some information about students relative to others. And there's always a will to compare, and that's not that surprising. Grades represent the teacher's professional judgment about how a student's doing, taking into account context, uh, motivation, challenge, uh, and progress over the course of a year. And if we look at the long-term evidence, grades are far more predictive of students' outcomes than standardized test scores. All right. Aisha. Can I jump in? Can yes. I jump in yeah. for oh. something here? Yep. Um, in, in Alberta, they have a dual system whereby students in grade 12 are graded by their teachers, but they also write provincial examinations that are arm's length. And uh, there's as much as a 20% difference in particular subjects between the grading of teachers and the grading that is done externally the average difference is eight percent that's the difference between a b and an a (laughs) so this i think is very substantial information that there is a problem with um teachers i'm not blaming the teachers 
They're, they're in a pressure cooker. But it's a systems problem, and it has to be dealt with at the level of a system. The other thing is University of Waterloo collects information on the grades, I believe, of incoming engineering students, mm -hmm. and they correlate that with uh, the grades that students received in grade 12. And there's an incredible discrepancy on a school-by-school -school basis, absolutely incredible. And that gap is increasing, which leads to the obvious conclusion that you can't rely on teachers' evaluations because they vary so much. Here you have the same curriculum and you have varying grades coming out of um, that system and they don't necessarily mean anything in terms of university performance. I, I completed a four university study recently and students say they don't have the skills required for success even though those skills are part of the uh, post-secondary curriculum. All right, Aisha, I want to get you in and then I want to get Serge in. Um, <clears throat> from a student perspective, you talked a little bit about that. Paint the picture a little bit about what the difference is between grade inflation and, say, a teacher rewarding a student who's taken the initiative, you know, to ask for opportunities to improve their grades, say, with, you know, bonus work or something. Is there a difference between that and, say, grade inflation? Yeah, so... I think this difference happens, um, and the way that I've seen it kind of pan out in real life is the difference between um, a student, for example, who consistently scores high on their tests, um, grades well on their assignments throughout the year, and a student who comes into the course, maybe struggles at first, um, receives some lower test scores, but then has shown more significant growth throughout the course. Those two students, um, if you were to put those numbers into a formula that weighs all their grades and comes out with an average, that second student might actually come out with a lower grade. But I think the teacher uses that professional judgment to show, do I want to show that growth and learning or just performance on a test? So I think that um, there is something to be said about teachers kind of using that professional judgment and the observations they've made. How do students interact with their peers? Are they supporting the learning of their peers? Um, are they engaging in classroom activities? Are they taking initiative to come and get help at lunch? Or are they just performing well on tests? And I think both of those kinds of merit, um, both of those observations have merit to them and should account into a student's final grade. So. I think it's hard to distinguish between when a grade may be inflated because on the surface it may seem that, oh, but this student scored this, this, and this on their test throughout the course. Um, but if you look a little deeper, that might actually be the case. I'm not saying that grade inflation doesn't exist, but I think that's just one of the explanations for why a student might come out with a higher grade than anticipated um, in the final course. Of course, there are situations where um, there's pressure from parents, families, for a teacher to deliver a higher final mark, and that's certainly been the case, um, but there's, there's a lot going on there. All right, Serge, that top six that high school students are trying to, you know, get to a pristine level that they feel confident that they'll you know, get into their programs. How much of that um, <clears throat> is sort of in response to some universities becoming more competitive and requiring higher marks? Yeah, I, I, I think you're 
quite right. Um, the the pressure over the past few years for grade 12 grades uh, has has, uh, has expanded uh, considerably. So data that we have uh, for students who are applying to any university in Ontario would show that the, the percentage of students with an 80 or above has has grown by at least 10 percentage points over the past three years. So um, whereas once upon a time, maybe uh, three out of four students had a, a, an 80 or above, now we're looking at closer to four out of five students having that grade. So it is becoming uh, far more competitive on the intake side for students and and the reaction or the reflex for students is therefore to try to get as high grades as possible <clears throat> um, and and the the teachers in grade 12 are also realizing that and, and perhaps trying to help the students out the the downside of that is that once they end up in the university program then um, their expectation of maintaining those grades <clears throat> usually come crashing down. Does Laurentian and other universities take grade inflation into account when accepting or denying students? I know we had an example from Paul about Waterloo, which we will get to, uh, but do, does your university take in grade inflation into account? So our, our institution is, um, is, is basically an access uh, institution and access universities. So uh, we consider any student having uh, the entry requirement, which for us is mostly 70%. We consider those at par value. So we do not adjust um, in, in much as uh, the example for Waterloo has been given. All right, Paul. We talked about sort of how, how much the education system has changed and, and sort of looking at great inflation. I want to, just in the last two decades, so much has changed. You know, Kelly has talked about sort of de-streaming. We have sort of credit recovery opportunities. We have the fifth year as well um, to help. Could these changes account for sort of those higher grade averages as well? They could, but it gets down to what do these grade averages mean? And if you look at stats can data, and if you look at the business press, uh, the StatsCan data show that there's been no improvement in the <laughs> skills and knowledge of people graduating from universities. And the business press is, is always lamenting the lack of basic skills on the part of graduates. So while they're getting higher and higher grades, that isn't manifest in the studies done by Stats Canada, nor is it manifest in terms of their job performance. I mean, one of the most difficult and most distressing findings is the low level of literacy among university graduates. And, and that is something that is universally regarded as a problem. So, you know, when, when you ask that question, I'm thinking, okay, but what does all this mean in terms of outcomes and performance in the real world? Um, is, it, is it a system that basically has its own metrics and those metrics don't bear any relationship? what goes on elsewhere, and I'm forced to conclude the latter. Hmm. Um, I, I want to stick with you. In terms, you talk about literacy rates. Are there any other risks when we look at great inflation that may pose, that, that is posed to our educational system? Well, there's also an effect on the good students that I mentioned at the beginning. Hmm. I mean, you have seminar situations where you have one or two people who are excellent and unfortunately, the rest are not up to their level. They don't have the same skills and they basically sit there. 
And that becomes a very unrewarding situation for the, the good students. And um, in some instances, there's sort of a withdrawal. Well, why am I bothering? And uh, that, that, I think, is very problematic. All right. Aisha, do some students suffer as a result of great inflation? Oh, this is a tough question. <laughs> um, I think that students um, over the past couple of years, if that's kind of where we're seeing um, this increase, have struggled to develop some of the key skills they need to achieve high grades while also seeing um, higher than n- average grades amongst their peers and even if they are themselves experiencing that grade inflation. So I think that um, in a lot of ways it's created a sort of competitive culture um, around grades and what that really means and also the way that students value their learning. So I think because we're seeing um, grades as almost like this currency of um, how do I get the highest grade possible rather than how do I learn the most or how do I benefit the most out of the courses that I'm taking um, has honestly been detrimental to the way students think about and experience school and even interact with their peers. Um, I think it's no surprise that students and and youth in Ontario are experiencing a mental health crisis, and I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised to see if, um, you know, this culture around achievement in school um, is also adding to that, those levels of anxiety or or stress amongst youth. So, in a lot of ways, um, it may be a short-term benefit where you know that extra couple percent in your average um, meet helps you meet the cutoff for the program that you need. But I think in the long term, it creates a very um, bad mindset around grades. And then for students going into post-secondary, like that mindset doesn't end in grade 12. Um, it continues and it can be really detrimental to someone's um, self-worth if they have constantly associated Chasing that with numbers. grades. Yep. Um, and they are not achieving those same grades in university or they're struggling or they don't even have the skills to be high achieving. Um, then it, um, like Serge was mentioning, it kind of all comes crashing down. Right. Very interesting points. Uh, Kelly, benefits to grade inflation. What are there? Because there's some very interesting studies that look into sort of the sort of grade inflation may play into STEM and the role of women in classes and and stuff like that. But I want to talk to you about what benefits, if there are any, to grade inflation that you see. Yeah, I'm not sold that there are benefits to grade inflation. I think it's understandable if you look at the kind of currently, uh, I think, undeniable issues around grades in the last two or three years um, that... Uh, I think teachers had a lot fewer tools in their toolkit to keep students who are learning remotely at a distance um, engaged and motivated and supported and believing in their own success. And I think sometimes grades were used as part of that kind of package of motivation. I totally agree with everything I should just <laughs> said. Like she said it beautifully. I think there really are some risks at the high end, but we have seen. Um, we have seen an increase in access to post-secondary, uh, and progression is something somewhat separate from learning. I think what it does is put a real challenge on universities and colleges, uh, that we need to know that students are going to continue to need support with skills development. We, we as universities can't blame high schools if students 
come out of university with not subpar skills. It's our job. We've got them. Uh, we want to make sure they're learning. So I don't, I don't really personally think there are a lot of advantages to grade inflation. I think there are lots of checks in the system. Mm. Um, students do write comparable tests in uh, grade 9 and 10, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, we know that the schools that are the furthest out of whack with the Waterloo measures are mm -hmm. mostly private schools. Mm -hmm. So the public system has some constraints going on that we don't necessarily see in the private school system. And I think there's reasons to be concerned about that. Um, but I would say that, you know, when we look at how students have progressed over the last 40 years, I graduated from high school in 1988. 60% of kids uh, were graduating from high school right now. Now it's 87%. Right. Uh, the world is requiring more knowledgeable and skilled people. Um, and it's a good thing that we're seeing people continuing to be engaged, setting themselves, hopefully on the paths of lifelong learning, not transactional grade right. work. But I think there's some real strengths and triumphs for the education system. Uh, then there's a lot to be proud of, uh, so. All right, Serge, I wanna ask you about University of Waterloo. Paul and Kelly both mentioned it, obviously. Uh, they have a grade adjustment system where applicants, um, in which their, their marks are adjusted or deducted based on what high schools they come out of. Are internal tools like that sort of, would you consider a fair response to grade inflation or are there other measures? I know, particularly with the University of Waterloo, that is not their only thing that they look at. They also look at an in-person interview. They have essays and a portfolio as well. But should that be part of the toolkit? Yeah, so I mean, uh, in, in order for, um, for an institution to do that with any kind of um, of, of, uh, of good results, they, they need a whole lot of experience with each of those schools, right? So if one student comes from a Northern Ontario school, went to Waterloo and, and failed miserably, hopefully that doesn't then taint the uh, story for the next student coming in the next year. So it's, it's a double-edged sword when uh, you're using very small uh, sample sizes to come up with that tool. So I've, I've not seen the tool. I don't know exactly how they use it, but my hope would be that they have enough information to make uh, more reasoned uh, decisions than uh, than simply using uh, very straightforward, simple math. But Waterloo's a, a great institution. I'm, I'm a graduate from there, and I know that the math that they use is, is usually uh, world-class. So I would expect that that's the case as well. I think for some of the other pieces that you're mentioning, so a lot of US schools are going to standardize tests for admissions, the SATs of the world and whatnot. That is in fact to try to help the institutions out in finding who are the top students from a, a, an objective point of view and uh, whether or not that will become something in Canada for either all institutions, some institutions or some programs, I guess remains to be seen. But that may indeed be the response of post-secondary institutions if the great inflation goes uh, too far. Uh, I, I think Paul mentioned Alberta. I was also a teacher, a high school teacher in Alberta. And at the time, 50% of the grade came from that ministry exam. Now it's down to 20%, but it still does give institutions, uh, or it, it levels, in my view, the playing field with all the advantages and disadvantages of those uh, types of, um, of, of tests. 
Kelly, did you want to get in on that? or? I, I just yeah. wanted to jump in. I think the conversation around um, standardized testing as a response to great inflation or kind of trying to find an objective way to um, measure the achievement of students, um, I personally take a lot of issue with standardized testing. I've heard consistently from students, and I think there's a lot of um, evidence to support that standardized tests measure your ability to take that test rather than your ability to um, achieve in that particular subject area. Um, I think I saw some research the other day that said that the SATs were a more consistent indicator of household income um, than the achievement of students. So I think it's hard to say whether standardized tests, which um, in a lot of parts of the world have kind of faded out over time, and I think for good reason, um, because it's really hard to say that that is an objective um, way to determine the success of students. Um, a lot of the top institutions in the United States have also moved to test optional admissions, um, some in response to COVID and the accessibility of these tests, um, some for the foreseeable future. Um, and it hasn't had an effect on the quality of education that these institutions are giving students or the competitiveness of their application. It's actually allowed them to see a wider pool of applicants um, and make and create a more well-rounded, still very high achieving um, incoming class of students. So I'm wary of kind of turning to standardized tests, especially when we know that um, curriculum, even though it is a standardized curriculum, um, is delivered even slight differences um, in the way that students are learning their math curriculum can affect um, their performance on a, on a standardized test. So I'm not sure if that's the way we need to go. Um, I'm not sure what the solution is, but I do think that we really need to change the way we think about grades and how we place value on the learning that a student has done. All right, with that, I have about one minute left, and I do want to get Kelly and Paul in on that last minute. Uh, we talked about solutions. Do we have any solutions in terms of how do we get around this issue of grade inflation? I'll go to Kelly, and then Paul gets the last word. I agree with yes. Aisha. The U.S. is moving away from the SAT, partially because of the long-term impact of its discriminatory effect. Uh, and the sort of test prep industry. Uh, I don't think standardized tests are the end of the world, but I think low stakes, common, normed, we should be able to compare. Uh, and there should be regular touch points, but it shouldn't necessarily be, you know, the main goal of an education system to get test scores up. That's crazy. All right, Paul, you get the last word on this. Well, um, while I'm in favor of some kind of testing, I'm not thinking of testing in the sense of SATs because it's been shown that they have very little relationship between um, scores on those tests and academic performance in post-secondary institutions. I'm thinking of the kind of test where people would be trained to read things critically. In other words, um, you would have rather than multiple choice, you would have essay type responses. And let's suppose it's in history. Uh, one, one of the questions might be whereby they analyze something historical and there's no particular right or wrong answer, but the reader would be looking for the structure of the argument. And that would cover a lot of bases. It would, would cover the base of do they know their history, do they have analytical skills, and so on and so on. That's the kind of test that I think that we need. And that's one way to get into this whole problem. The last thing I, I want to mention is that we have 62% of our youth between the ages of 18 and 24 connected with um, post-secondary education. The figure for Germany, the powerhouse of Europe, is 30%. Hmm. 
That's because they have institutions that recognize that people have different aptitudes and you don't have to go to university to realize your potential. And we unfortunately denigrate some of the uh, skills that people might acquire in those situations. We think everybody has to go to university and that's wrong. All right, we are gonna leave it there. Paul, Serge, Kelly, Aisha, thank you so much. Really great conversation. Really appreciate you joining you. us on the program. Thank you. Thank you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.